Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. I want to celebrate CUNY Law as one of the few, if not the only law school, to make a public statement defending the right of its students to organize and speak out against Israeli settler colonialism. That this, that this is the law school that passed and endorsed BEDS on a student and faculty level. Recognizing that absent a critical imperialism settler colonialism lens, our work and this school's mission statement is void of value. That right there is a woman by the name of Fatima Muhammad. You know her as Jew-hating bigot. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Said it, meant it, not apologizing to anybody. We're not talking about policy here. We're talking about hating Jews and wanting them dead. That's what she is saying there at a law school graduation for the City University of New York. CUNY, City University of New York. That's what she's saying. Man, there's a lot of anti-Semitism out there. Now, normally, I don't really dig in on the subject. I notice it when it's happening, when there's a story, when there's a thing, but I don't as a, as a matter of just, hey, let's share this thing, dig in. Um, maybe it's because it comes up in regular conversation. I don't feel I need to give it more than that. Sometimes it's the, oh, sure, Tony's talking about anti-Semitism because he's Jewish and, you know, he's just sensitive to the thing. Dude. We're talking about people saying that Israel shouldn't exist. I'm a Zionist. I'm not apologizing about it. Israel exists, and that's the way it is. And I don't care, Fatima Muhammad, I don't care what she thinks about the subject. I'm willing to fight. Now, if you ask me what my country is, I'm an American. I was born in America. I'm an American. I recognize the importance of Israel. I believe in Israel's right to exist, thus a Zionist, and I apologize to no one. Not you, not that Jew-hating bigot Fatima Muhammad, not the worthless staff at the CUNY schools, no one about it. And if you ask me why, I feel no need to apologize. That as Israel continues to indiscriminately rain bullets and bombs on worshipers, murdering the old, the young, attacking even funerals and graveyards as it encourages lynch mobs, to target Palestinian homes and businesses as it imprisons its children, as it continues its project of settler colonialism, expelling Palestinians from their homes, carrying the ongoing Nakba that are silent is no, that our silence is no longer acceptable. That's a lot of projection right there when you take a look at the bombs get, that get flown into Israel nearly on the daily. The Israeli children that have been killed uh, by the terrorists of Hamas and Hezbollah. What is she talking about? When the Palestinians, quote unquote, rise up and try and say we don't want Hamas, they get beaten down. Where is she to denounce that? Nowhere. Because this isn't about Israeli policy. This is about wanting Jews dead. But wanting Jews dead. Grow up. This is who she is. This is who the City University of New York is. Anti-Semitism is massively on the rise. When I see somebody has painted a swastika on a stop sign, I don't think that that's the rise of anti-Semitism. I think that's the rise of moronism. It's just a schmuck 
who doesn't even know what they're doing. It's avant-garde. Look how daring I am. Oh, I don't listen to the rules, man. I mean, that's what it is. Now, what she's doing, what she's doing is despicable because she wants dead Jews. This is who she is. A lot, a lot, a lot of bigotry. And you'll notice that the bigotry against Jews isn't coming from Mississippi. This is a really important message to Democrats who like to denigrate the South as a bunch of bigots. This ain't coming from Alabama. This is coming from New York. This is coming from those elitist leftist snobs. And may I add uh, that if you are somebody hiring lawyers, check to see if they went to the City of the University of New York Law School and then maybe, maybe look in another direction. Now, I know it's not going to be true of every student who went there, but it's true of too many. Listen to all, did you hear all those cheers? They're cheering this bigot, this Jew-hating bigot. They're cheering her in this conversation. We're not discussing an Israeli policy here. We're discussing Israeli existence. We're discussing Jews. Barack Obama, oh, I'm sorry, Joe Biden, it's very hard to tell them apart by policy. The Biden administration has decided to add CARE as a national partner in anti-Semitism. No, 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 in combating anti-Semitism. It's funnier that way I said it the first time. I agree. That's just funny. CARE is the Council of American Islamic Relations. That's who who they are. They're going to be a national partner to combat the rise of anti-Semitism in America. How? They're an apologist group. How can CARE possibly do anything regarding fighting anti-Semitism when they're apologists for anti-Semitism? If a group like CARE cannot start by denouncing in every way Louis Farrakhan, then how could they be a group that actually is interested in fighting anti-Semitism? You start by saying no to this. Here the Jews don't like Farrakhan, so they call me Hitler. Well, that's a good name. Hitler was a very great man. If you can't start by denouncing that, you're not really serious. You have Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis saying of all the organizations of the Biden, the, the, of all the organizations the Biden administration can partner with to combat anti-Semitism, an anti-Israel and pro-BDS group like CARE should not be one of them. CARE, C-A-I-R. And BDS is Boycott, Divestment, and Sanction. So they believe in boycotting Israeli products, forcing companies or pushing companies to divest from uh, investment in, in Israel, and then sanctioning Israel as a nation. They, they believe in crippling uh, the country. Because remember, the objective is not a better country. The objective is to get Israel not to exist. They hate Jews. BDS is not about policy, it's about Jew hate. Well, what about the Jewish groups that are in favor of these things? Let's talk about these awful people. Let's talk about these useful idiots. I have an article here from something called Middle East Eye. I know nothing about Middle East Eye. Right. And when you tell me that your top three things, your subjects are the Turkey, Turkish elections, the Sudan crisis and the Nakba. Nakba is the Palestinian word for catastrophe. So the creation of Israel, they consider a catastrophe. Let you know who they are. 
U.S. University condemned for removing pro-Palestine speech from YouTube. That's right. The speech you just heard from this group is considered a pro-Palestine speech. And the story they put out there is that um, while the speech was uh, critiqued as anti-Semitic, and that's done in uh, fear quotes, the CUNY, uh, CUNY School of, Jew of Law, Jewish Law Students Association, wrote a letter in support of this woman saying, quote, it is disingenuous to characterize these factual representations as anti-Semitic when they describe the conditions of Palestinian life. If CUNY Law wants to show it cares for its Jewish students, it could do so by showing it cares for Fatima. Now, remember that it, the Jews are supposed to be the smart ones. My people are supposed to be the smart ones. Well, what happens when you trade your religion for your ideology? What, what happens at, at that moment? Your religion is no longer your religion. Your religion is leftism. And leftism's entire working principle, as Evan it well laid it out, in the Kindergarten of Eden and in his speech regurgitating the apple, which you can still find on YouTube, it is the idea of being unbigoted. It's the idea of saying this may be bad, but what about what those people are doing? If you want to argue that Israel shouldn't exist, there should be no Balfour Declaration, Israel wasn't there and they stole the land from people, it is an argument that you can make. But the Balfour Declaration did happen the land was not only given to create the state of Israel, but historically and biblically belongs to the people of Israel. And even if you didn't believe in that, you weren't in favor of that, you didn't agree with that for whatever reason, Israel exists right now. And nothing existed before Israel did. Meaning, this was not the land of milk and honey. This was an arid desert with nothing happening. I can go back to the letters that Winston Churchill was writing. Um, this was after the, the Boer War. And Winston Churchill, he was uh, the, the second Boer War. And he would uh, write to commanders, well, here's the situation on the ground. Nobody asked him to write. Churchill would write because he, he, he wanted um, to let them know how on top of it he was. He was somebody they could trust. He was a guy who was about power. He wanted the power. He wanted to tell his story and be so important to them, they could say, well, my man Churchill says. That's what Churchill would do. And when he would write about um, walking through what was then Palestine, he was very clear. There's, there's nothing here. There was absolutely nothing there. Zero. Zip. It was empty. It is the Jews who made an oasis out of the desert. Those are just the facts. And anybody who wants to argue that is more than welcome to argue it. There was nothing there. 
doesn't mean there wasn't some level of civilization. It means that there wasn't some great land that was just thriving and kicking ass. The Jews did that when they came to Israel, when they were kicked out of every other country, mind you. Remember, when Israel got formed, lots of nations throughout, not even just the Middle East, but the Mediterranean said, yeah, you, you go over there now. And they lost their homes in Italy and other places, and they had to go over there. You know what they did? They built hospitals and medical supplies. It's what happened. All right, didn't necessarily happen in that one-two punch, but that's what we could see as the result. So as I've argued about, for example, California, when I hear uh, people from Central America or from Mexico talk about Reconquista, they're going to take back California. You can have it back, but not as it is. We're going to pull out every piece of fiber optic, optic cable, every piece of copper, and we're going to salt the earth. You get it the way we got it. That's what's going to happen. You want Israel back? We're going to salt the earth? You're not getting anything. What are you, nuts? You have proven Fatima Muhammad. You have proven Louis Farrakhan. And you have proven Hamas and Hezbollah that you can't actually build anything. Because you haven't built anything. Well, you can't build anything in the Gaza Strip because the Israelis, nonsense. Iran, which funds Hamas, has figured out how to get weaponry to Hamas for the last 20 years. You couldn't figure out how to build a hospital? You're full of crap. How about that? How about that as a, just a starting point of it? How about the fact, as I brought up earlier, the Palestinians know that this is a lost, a lost cause? This is silly. Hamas is destroying them, using them as pawns, not caring what happens about their life. The Israelis are running a democracy where people of all walks of life walk freely. You don't like settlements, you you say. Settlements are the problem. How dare Israelis build on Palestinian lands? No, it's Israel. And I don't believe in occupied anything. It's Israel. And Jerusalem is the undivided capital of Israel. Always has been, always will be. And anybody who doesn't like it, I don't care about. Washington, Washington, D.C. is the capital of the United States. It's the way it is. It was New York. Now it's Washington, D.C. Game over, done. And it's not settlements, in my view, when Israel decides to build an apartment. That's what they do. It's their land. Now, you can argue as a policy, you think it's a bad policy. That's fine. I argued that their COVID policy was sizzling hot garbage. Because it was. You and I are having conversations about policy. This Fatima Muhammad speaking right there in in uh, to uh, the people of uh, CUNY Law School, City University of New York Law School. She's advocating for the eradication of Israel. And CARE are apologists for people who favor the eradication of Israel. That's who they are. That's what they do. That's what's happening. So, I bring it up. 
because there is a rise of anti-Semitism. There is an acceptance and a cheering of younger generation of these Jew-hating bigots, and it's something we got to be aware of. And the Biden administration bringing care into this as a partner to combat anti-Semitism? Stop it. There are people out there of all faiths who know that this, this Jew hatred is wrong. And there are probably some good people out there you can partner with. Care is not the way you do it. This administration, this Democratic Party, their embrace of anti-Semites has been going on for years. Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, but I've, I've said enough. And the Biden administration should take proper heat for this level of hate. Proper heat. This is disgusting and despicable. But I expected nothing less from a party that probably looks at Fatima Muhammad and says, I wonder if we can get her to talk at the DNC. I'm Tony Katz. What's your latest uh, view on whether or not we're likely to see a recession before the 2024 election? You know, the R word that I'm hearing the most is about resilience, that this economy has proven remarkably resilient. You know, we've gone through a lot, a pandemic. We've seen a war that spiked gas prices, and today gas prices are down again. And uh, prices are coming down across the board, and the job record is really exceptional. That's uh, a uh, member of the White House economic team who wants to tell you that things are great because gas prices are down again. This is embarrassing. Gas prices have gone up for the past months. They were they were down, what, five cents, whatever the case may be, and all of a sudden it's like, look how great things are. Uh, Lael Brainerd, is that her name? Is it, is it Lael, L-A-E-L? Anyway, it's pathetic. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. That is some pathetic stuff. This is the argument. Inflation uh, indexes, all of the indicators say it's here to set to stay. Democrats are desperate to spend more money. And yet you have the team saying, please stop. Everything's fine. What are you worried about? Good Lord. These are unserious people. The inflation is not going away. They're already discussing you should see you should get ready for uh, future hikes. They may not happen in June, but they will do it. They will continue to increase interest rates to keep inflation at bay, and inflation does not seem to be in any way at bay. That's reality. What a what a thing to say. And this is what Good Morning America, do they accept this? Like, I don't have the part two of that clip where oh, I, I only wish George Stephanopoulos would go, what are you, nuts? But I guarantee you I didn't get that. Guarantee you that did not happen. What are you, blank and crazy, lady? Because that's crazy. Um, interestingly, the people over at Case Schiller were talking about construction. They say that home prices in March were 0.7% higher than in March of 2022. Housing prices? If these interest rates are going up? I guess it can make sense. Less people are buying homes because of the interest rates, but therefore less people are selling homes, and so therefore the inventory that's out there is small, and there are people who still need to buy it, and so therefore the price can go up. Supply and demand being very real. That might have something to do with it. There's also a regional thing going on. The Southeast is hot and the West is very much not. 
Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. The Indy 500 has come and gone, and honestly, as... uh Racing savant Kurt Darling has pointed out this thing had something for everyone. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Kurt Darling joins us right now from the WIBC newsroom. And let's start uh, at the end. This ending, bringing it back to the green as opposed to uh, just finishing the race. Finishing the race as it was, Marcus Erickson is a two-time champion back-to-back. Going back to the green, it's Joseph Newgarden with a crazy cool pass. Um, how should this have gone down, Kurt? It should have gone down exactly as it went down, Tony. I mean, here's the thing. I was talking with Nick Yeoman of the IndyCar Radio Network after the uh, race had come and gone yesterday, and, you know, he made a comment to me about how here's the deal. They made the red flag initially, the first red flag at about the at lap with, with 15 laps to go after the Kirkwood crash. Well, then they call the red flag again for the second crash and then the third crash again. So... The way the IndyCar approached this is basically they were consistent. If you're going to throw the red flag for one crash in that particular stage of the race, then throw the red flag for the rest of them as you're trying to get a green flag finish. If you're not going to throw the red flag that first time, then just keep the caution flag out and let the and let the laps wind down and end the race under caution. Now, a lot of people, you know, have to remember that in IndyCar you can end a race under caution, but over the last couple of years or so, IndyCar has made every effort to try and get green flag finishes, and they did that again here this time. So you look at this and you say, this is the right move, this is the right uh, procedure, and people, it seems, are happy with the result. They're happy seeing a New Garden. They're happy. I think they're kind of happy seeing an American win. They're happy seeing New Garden win. They're happy seeing him run into the stands like a freak. I mean, this wasn't just climbing the fence. <laughs> he literally ran into party with the fans, which I haven't seen before. Um, is as far as results go, not just how this race ended, but the whole day. This this was all sorts of 2016 vibes. There are numbers 325,000. I think that number is low in terms of the number of people who were there. Do you have a better calculation than that? No, not not to my knowledge, Tony. Uh, in, in IMS is usually pretty tight-lipped about exact numbers when it comes to attendance. I mean, they were pretty happy to advertise that they were over 400,000 people for the 100th running back in 2016 because, you know, 400,000 people, that's the highest attendance that they've ever had for the race. But they have said that this is the 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 highest attended Indianapolis 500 since the 100th running but you know you're right Tony as far as New Garden's celebration going into the stands that is certainly unique I didn't see that coming by the way I didn't even think he could actually get through the fence right there but he did and that was really really cool to see and plus it's his 12th time that he's tried that ties him with Tony Kanaan for most attempts, second most attempts in Indy 500 history before getting the win. Sam Hanks back in 1957 is the only one who beats them at 13 starts. So there was that really cool storyline of him finally conquering the mountain to get that win. And yeah, it, in, in my opinion, it was it was a very entertaining race, probably just as entertaining as last year. Go back to how this thing ended and get into the conspiratorial. <laughs> None of this was decided to happen. No one no one decided that this is the way it had to be and that you had to bring it back uh, to the green in order to ensure uh, that the captain, uh, Roger Penske, 
got his win. It didn't. It didn't. It didn't work like that. There's. There was. Okay, people. Let's just get this right there right now. There was no rigging of the Indianapolis 500. It did not happen. And that's just the way it is. Now, uh, I've been seeing a lot of uh, comparisons, Tony, to the end of the uh, Formula One season back in uh, 2021 when uh, Formula One basically rewrote their own rules in the final minutes of that final race of the season just to facilitate an interesting finish between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen for the world championship that year. That did not happen this time. There were literally no rules broken at all. IndyCar has the discretion to throw the red flag whenever they see fit to try and get a green flag finish. That is in the rule book, and that is exactly what they did for the 500 this time. Kurt Darling, look, I appreciate it. I'm just asking. <laughs> I, I am relaying to you what the people are saying. Oh, I know, I know. I've been and seeing what's, it. <laughs> and what some of the people are saying, and, and I'm quoting here, <laughs> that's what some of the people are saying. <laughs> But you don't see you don't think that in the end the real fan base is saying that they're looking at this saying this was a nuts yeah. insane race that was pretty much flawless until crash after crash after crash after finish. Well yeah, and Tony, that's proven by the fact that I could literally hear the crowd through the thick media center windows and walls on the third floor while I was there on the front straight of people going absolutely insane at the fact that they were going to get basically a two and a half mile drag race to see who would win the who would win this race it was nuts it was entertaining it was fun and uh, it's like i said every effort that you can possibly do and get to get a green flag finish now the only person who's not happy about this is marcus erickson and rightfully so i mean he was in the lead with the final but going into the final lap not where you wanted to be in that particular particular situation and the red flag ended up costing him the race but that's racing bottom line is this it was an entertaining finish for the average racing fan and as far as i can tell everyone loved it was there something special about the 107th running meaning when we look to next year the the weather played a huge part in this weather for for qualifying was perfect weather for 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 the weekend was perfect it got people excited brought actually more people out to the track they're like it's gorgeous out let's just go it'll be fun a lot of that did happen was this weather based or did some ha, has IndyCar which has been turning a corner if you will to pardon the pun for the last few years have they turned another one where it's like you know what we're, we're, we're back to the party. There's no question. There's no conversation. There's no COVID. There's no waning interest. This is the party of the year. Make sure you're there. That's basically it, Tony. Um, and obviously the weather was a big bonus card that Indianapolis Motor Speedway was able to uh, play on race day. So, you know, yeah, you had slight overcast skies, a little bit hazy, but still just enough sunshine to make it fun. And the temperatures were good. But also the racing product has just been getting a lot better, too. They're still tinkering with their aero package for super speedways to make the racing a lot more tight and a lot more fun and yeah if and based on what doug bowles has said things are looking up going into 2024 kurt darling i appreciate it i will tell you man indy 500 was spectacular and you know i get to do the pre-race coverage uh, that that broadcast from 6 to 11 it's usually 5 to 11 but it was 6 to 11 uh, this year it, it was a pleasure it's so much fun to do such a good time to be able to do it but the whole vibe, the vibe was insane. Absolutely 2016 vibes. Crowd was full, 325,000. We had Doug Bowles, the president of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, on the show. Figured you could get ten to 20,000 people walking up, which is such a weird thought. It's so weird to be like, that, that someone would be like, hey, I wasn't going to go to the race. Well, why not? 
like you'd think people plan for it, but the weather plays a huge part. People are like, weather's weather's crappy. Well, we won't go. We'll catch the radio broadcast, and then uh, and then we'll maybe see the replay. People are like the weather was amazing. The weather was great. It's terrific. They're like you know what? We'll go. We'll go. We'll bring a couple beers. We'll walk around. We'll see people totally inappropriately dressed, and uh, and that'll be it. So when I was there on Carb Day, and people did show up. When I was there on Carb Day, there was somebody dressed in a diaper. And then, and then when we were there race day, this guy comes up to the table. He's like, hey, hey, you, that guy in the diaper, that, that was me. I was the guy in the diaper. He was so proud. And I'm like, man, we, we clearly have different barriers we're both trying to break. We, we have a different threshold for things to be proud of. Then there was the guy in the black and white checkered Speedo and, and the sneakers, and that's it. I, I assume he was in his 60s. And, and one has to wonder whether or not the look works. Did that look work? Did he, did he walk around in just his Speedo, in the checkered Speedo, and, and, and one of the many, many ladies there said, you know what, that'll do. You know, I'll, t- I'll take this off your hands, everybody. I don't know. Maybe it had nothing to do with that. The guy was just having a good time for all I know. Um, the inappropriate dress. While I definitely saw some things that cannot be unseen, there have been more tawdry years. This year was less, oddly enough, while, while there, was, there was a level of inappropriateness. There was a, there was a level of inappropriateness. I that this was less tawdry. I believe tawdry is the proper word, isn't it? Am I using the proper word? Hold on a second. Tawdry, gaudy and cheap in nature or appearance, garish, shameful or indecent. Yeah, then then I do have the right word. T a w d r y. I've seen worse. I have seen worse at the five hundred. So it was um, it, it it was it did not rank in the top five. I don't think. This was my eighth race, my seventh race. My seventh race, and this did not rank in the top five of Tadri. Right there. This did rank in the top two of crowds. The 2016, which was the 100th running, and this. Just nuts. And you got to wonder. And the, the, the whole point of creating festival, because that's what's, that's what's happening. That the Indy 500 is figured out, uh, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is figured out, and this, I think it's a good lesson for a lot of other um, organizations putting together large scale cities, putting together large scale uh, events. Um, you need more than the event itself. I think people love the race, but the truth is, people love the experience of the race. And the experience involves the food, and the experience involves the the concerts, and the experience involves all the other ancillary things, and the experience involves being able to have a day of total escapism and no judgment. Except, of course, me telling you who was tawdry, right? My judgment, well, that's still going to happen. So people want this. They want this, this massive escape, and... The Speedway, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway has figured out well how to give it with the concerts and with the music and everything else. They know what people are coming for. They're coming for all of these things. And Indy is providing this this huge platform for, for party. 
But I did have a bunch of people mention they thought they saw more families than ever before, which is interesting. I talked about the Tajay, but there's also the family aspect because you've got the race and you've got the cars and you've got so many things. There's a little bit for everyone. And they've done a very good job of managing that, managing this bit for everyone. And and with that, they should be they should be studied and they should be applauded. And that's why the Indy 500 is growing. And one has to wonder exactly how big this crowd can really get. Because they were 325. They don't give out an official number. But, I mean, that's where, that's where everybody's at. And maybe it was more. They can do more. I think, that, I think that's obvious. I think they can. And I think they want to. And it's cool to be a part of. And I love that it happens right here in Indiana. I'm Tony Katz. Well, look, uh, it's a different Congress. It's a new day. It's not that you have to pass the bill to find out what's in it. you got 72 hours. This isn't a 1,000-page bill. This is 99 pages. And this is different than we've ever had before. We're actually going to spend less money this year than we spent last year. And your viewers have heard me give this analogy before. A debt limit is like the family having a credit card, but you've been charging it up every year and just keep lifting the limit. This year's different. We now say we're going to spend less. Now, unfortunately, I wasn't able to look at all what we spend our money on because the mandatory spending, Social Security, Medicare, that's all off to the side. So I can only look at about 15% of what we spend our money on. So what we did is, in elements like non-defense, that's going to go below 2022 levels. So that's a very positive. But the other thing we did, we put ourselves on a spending plan. We cap how much we can spend for the next six years with government. Now, that all sounds really good, but the there's a, a seemingly growing cacophony of Republicans against this legislation, and there are plenty of Democrats who are opposed to it as well. This was the debt limit budget deal that the speaker, who you just heard from, Kevin McCarthy, and President Biden came to. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. The phone number, 833-468-8669. I've only now started to go through it. So I think ask me tomorrow, give me a better idea of where I'm at as I've been able to read more, get some questions answered, uh, things like that. I, I must tell you that I understand where Senator Lindsey Graham is coming from. If you tell me you've increased defense spending, but it's only by 3% and inflation's 4%, well, then we're not keeping up with inflation. That's not really spending now, is it? It's not necessarily can be seen as a cut, but not keeping up with inflation is is a thing. And of course, me, I would do more on defense spending because, well, that's necessary. We don't have enough ships. We don't have enough cybersecurity uh, capabilities or, or people. You want to put $80 billion towards IRS agents, however many it is? No. Put it to cybersecurity folk and people at the border. A far better use of funds if we're going to spend that level of money. But there, there's issues here. And I don't know if Republicans are going to go for it. And, and as I've discussed, there are Republicans who think this is this is solid as a first step. Uh, one of those people is uh, former Speaker Newt Gingrich. I'm a very big fan of incrementalism, and I think it drives I think it drives some of you crazy because I think you you see it. I think you can tell me if I'm wrong. I'm okay with that. Tony at TonyCats.com, 833-468-8669. I think that you see that as failure. That if we do, if we if we want X and we only get 
62% of X. That's not good enough. It has to be all of it. But sometimes you don't get all of it. Sometimes you only get pieces. And you slowly towards move a desired, or slowly make moves towards a desired goal. The political left has been doing this for years. That's how they were able to take uh, being Democrats and move it into progressivism. Little bits and little bits and little bits and little bits. And all along the way, they re-centered what the center is. So the center in America is actually rather left. That's what happened. That's how those goalposts, as you will, if you will, moved. So I'm, I can appreciate the concept of trying to move things back to an actual center or a political, a political right towards conservatism. I'm not happy with what I'm seeing in this legislation. As I've read it thus far, I may have a different take tomorrow. I may feel more measured in this, look, incrementalism point of view. But I, I've always liked uh, Speaker Gingrich. And so when I hear him talk, I do take it with a, with, with a level of seriousness. Let me go back and look at that through his uh, view, uh, knowing that he has a mind, knowing he's got the history, what he did with the contract uh, for America and, and, and a contract with America and, and kind of see if he's making sense in this as well. There have been moments of agreement, moments of disagreement. But I'm not sure how many Republicans in the House are down for this because if, if, if you said to uh, the, the people, you elect me and we're going to get rid of this $80 billion, whatever it is, or whatever many billions it is for 80,000 IRS agents, 8,000 IRS agents, better. And you're not doing that. You're only clawing back $2 billion. Well, that's seen as promise not kept. And that promise is a big one. Indeed. I'll review it. I'll get back with you tomorrow to break it down. We'll do it all then. Find everything at TonyCats.com. Tomorrow, everyone, take care.